Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And I'm Nico Bakulich. And let's get biblical. For you, anything. Oh, thank you, baby. Uh, I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I'm now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it's not for kids because it has a bunch of cussing in it. Uh, I'm reading the New International Version, or NIV. I'm reading the New Revised Standard Version, or NRSV, of Mr. Bibble. And uh, Nico is not wearing a shirt right now. Uh, I'm sure that was the question on the tip of every <laughs> listener's tongue. Nico is Alex Jonesing it and recording shirtless. It's very distracting to me, so if I uh, just drift into a reverie, that's the reason why. Today we're talking about the Holy Gospel according to Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are, my dear. (laughs) And we are delighted to do so. Um, We have a lot of ground to cover. So I'm just going to dive right into fast facts. Lay it on me, baby. Um, Third of the four Gospels. Third and last of the three synoptic or lookalike Gospels. Like Matthew, it is based on Mark, but incorporates other sources. Uh, Written around the same time as Matthew, around AD 90. Mm. So about six years after Jesus died. Uh, The real author is unknown. Traditionally ascribed to Luke the Evangelist, who was a follower of Paul and a physician, apparently. Dr. Luke, of course. Of course, yeah. He's been in the news lately. Yeah, for great reasons. Let's get down to Bibble business. Chapter one. Get a different Christmas story. I was interested in this because I started reading it and I was like, I don't recognize any of these names from any of the other stories of Jesus. And then I was like, oh, shit. This ain't your daddy's Jesus. (laughs) Before we even get to the virgin birth and shit. Um, There's a whole thing about John the Baptist's birth. That's right. And his mom, Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin or aunt or something, um, she's too old to have kids. But the angel Gabriel appears to her and tells her, or actually appears to her husband, Mm -hmm. and uh, tells her husband that they will have a kid, but he has to be a Nazarite. Um, Just like what happened with Samson and uh, after him with Samuel, that like they're Mothers were supposed to be barren, but God granted them a miraculous kid if they would make him a Nazarite, i.e. put him in this special sect that's devoted to God and they can't cut their hair and they can't uh, eat any grapes or drink any wine. Right. They don't mention the hair in this one. They don't mention the hair, but like it's clear that that's what it is. So that's interesting. That, I mean, really adds to the image of John the Baptist is that he's like an old school holy man. Yeah. The likes of which... The Holy Land had not seen in quite some time. In quite some time. Um, I've also read that for a while people thought that Jesus of Nazareth might be a, a mistranslation of Jesus uh, who was a Nazarite. Oh, very interesting. Um, but was, Is John the Baptist the same person as Jesus then? Mm, I don't think so. And in this book, we're not really going to go into it, but it does mention that like Jesus drinks wine. Mm, so That's a good point. And in fact, he makes a good, he makes a point. He's like... You've heard of people fasting, yeah. but then you're like, Jesus, you're feasting and yeah. drinking wine. How are you yeah. the holy man? And he's like, God so. said so. 
I don't think he's a Nazarite, but man, mystery solved. <laughs> yeah, You're asked and answered. Great time on this app. So then, uh, you know, Mary gets pregnant, even though she's a virgin. Um, and here, Jesus is labeled the Son of God, like immediately mm-hmm. at the Annunciation. You don't have to wait until he gets baptized at age thirty. Um, she goes to stay with her cousin or whoever, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. for a while, um, and they're like miracle pregnancy buds. Uh, when Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth says, blessed are thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Mm -hmm. That is in the Catholic Hail Mary prayer. And blessed is the fruit of thy loom. (laughs) This show is sponsored by Fruit of the Loom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fuck you, Mac Weldon. (laughs) Um, Eccentric billionaire Mac Weldon. And um, then we get a more fleshed out Christmas story. Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth but have to go to Bethlehem for a census Mm -hmm. which is not historically like that didn't happen and it doesn't make any sense either no um there's no room at the inn so Mary has to give birth in a in a barn she has to it's called a manger my dear well the manger is the trough the manger is a feeding trough really (laughs) yeah (laughs) so she gives birth and then like wraps the baby up and she doesn't have a cradle so she puts it in the fucking feeding trough Oh, um, and an angel appears to nearby shepherds and tells them to go find this baby and worship it. I guess mm-hmm. um, I'm not. Exactly... There's a lot of angel talk in this one, right yeah. Off the bat, because like Gabriel is the one who visits. Gabriel is all over the place. Gabriel visits John's dad, right? And Elizabeth's vi- husband, and visits Mary as well. And yeah. he's like, "I'm and, the same dude." And visits the shepherds. My name's Gabriel. Yeah. He's very he's he's uh, advertising himself a little bit better in this. <laughs> I think he's a little overexposed, you know. It's <laughs> Gabriel, just like yeah, take a year off. Don't make any more movies. Well, like, we haven't heard anything from him. The for public is a little nigh on two thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> so all that stuff about like no room at the inn, baby in the manger, like that's all only in Luke, mm. and the Magi are only in Matthew. And you're right; there are no Magi in this one in this detailed Christmas story. Yeah. In fact, here they just recruit some local chuckle fucks to go worship yeah these shepherds and like the shepherds aren't aren't any they don't have any no expertise no slam on our shepherd listeners and i honestly think there might be we have like we have a few farmer listeners who are obviously our favorites um you're not chuckle fucks yeah you guys aren't but these shepherds are (laughs) for some reason like they're not i mean it's it's a tough comparison to magi yeah I mean, if you're out there practicing Thelema, the dark magic of chaos, and you're a shepherd, good on you. Fucking kudos. You got your life in order. Um, then we get uh, this little story that isn't in any of the other Gospels uh, from when Jesus is 12. This is so interesting. Yeah, where they, um, his parents make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the um, for Passover. Mm-hmm. and Holy days, D-A-Z-E. <laughs> And when they go home, they accidentally leave him there, like a home alone situation. No, but it's... Except instead of creating a Rube Goldberg murder house, Mm -hmm. he uh, just goes to the temple and starts preaching. And then they come back and find him there. And Mary's like, we were so worried. How could you do this? And he's like, "Uh, you should have known you would find me in my father's house. But he's also at the feet of every rabbi in the synagogue absorbing wisdom. Yeah. Asking pertinent questions. Yeah. 
This is a this is a studious Jesus. Yeah, he's 12 years old, getting ready for his bar mitzvah. This sets up the Jesus that is in all of the other stories. But none mm-hmm. of the other stories do the setup mm-hmm. because he, sh- he just shows up when he's 30 something. Yeah. And he's got his theology for- fully formed. Yeah. Based on Jewish scripture. But in here, it makes sense because he studied it when he was a child and showed a great aptitude for it. Yeah. So uh, is this just speaking back, of which is this just back formation? Like th- this was just details filled in later. Like of course, when Jesus was young, he must have sat at the feet of the wisest rabbis at the synagogue. Probably. Uh, also, I think it probably conforms to some like holy story like mm. uh, templates. Sure. You know of like oh he was like only twelve, but he could like understand the scriptures. Right. You know? Uh, anyway, speaking of him showing up at 30 years old, now we're going to flash forward 18 years. Mm-hmm. He's 30 years old. Uh, he gets baptized by John the Baptist, uh, similar in Matthew and Mark. But so he and John are similar ages. Yeah, and they're like six months apart and they're related. They're like second cousins. Is that is, is that only in Luke, those details? Um, It's only explicitly stated in Luke, yeah. Because I imagine John the Baptist is being older. Yeah. Being like a spiritual mentor to Jesus. He does seem like a little older. But it could also be explained by in the other narratives, Jesus comes to his ministry later in life. Yeah, that's also possible. While John was already active on the scene. He already had built a following, which is so important these days. Yeah, you got to get that platform. Mm -hmm. It's about your personal brand. And John's was developed. (laughs) Oh, we get his genealogy here at the baptism. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought. The one in Matthew was ridiculous for going all the way back to Abraham. Mm -hmm. But this one goes all the way back to fucking Adam. Yes. So it's like, you know, Jesus, son of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathot. And then it goes all the way back. Son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Well, we're all fucking related to Adam. (laughs) Like we're all equally related to Adam. So Mm. I don't know why that's relevant. And is Adam really the son of God? I know. It's like weird. Because God is a thing. And... Adam was the first man, right. which is, you would think, explicitly a different thing. But it's, like, interesting that it's, like, oh, you know, like, yeah, uh, Jesus is the son of God. That runs in his family. You know, like, his great-great-grandfather <laughs> was also the son of God. <laughs> like, we should have seen this coming. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets uh, he gets tempted by Satan in the desert, as in Matthew and Mark. Uh, then we have him, you know, recruiting the disciples, performing miracles. Um, we went into more detail about that. Last episode, but there are two differences I want to briefly note. One is that when he recruits the first two disciples, Peter and Andrew, who are fishermen, Mm -hmm. he performs a miracle in this one so that they catch so many fish that their net breaks. And then they're like... He was the first person to break the internet. (laughs) Kim Kardashian is truly a follower of Christ. Um, Which seems a little cheap. I don't know. It's like they're like... Oh, this guy's magic. I'm going to follow him. Whereas in the previous ones, they were just like, I'm going to follow this guy. He, you know, like I sense something spiritual in him or whatever. One thing I also noticed about this, the way these first disciples are recruited is, like you said, there was lots of boat stuff Uh in the story. In this, all the boat stuff is wrapped into his recruiting of the first disciples, Mm. which was that he had a huge crowd and he was like, I need a way to speak to this whole crowd. Hey, fisherman, can I ride your boat out there? And then he gets on the boat and then to reward them for their patience while he like speaks to his flock or whatever. He's like, go out a little bit further and catch some fish. And they're very humble and they're like, hey, Lord, don't deal with me. I'm a sinful man. And he's like, 
perfect. <laughs> Got him right where I want him. Mm-hmm. Um, the other difference I want to note is that the 12 disciples are slightly different because instead of Thaddeus, we have a second Judas. That just seems confusing. I agree. So the bad Judas is Judas Iscariot. Yeah. Judas is scary. OT. <laughs> Old Testament. <laughs> um, okay. So scary then, over time. <laughs> for the rest of this episode, we're going to focus more on parables and teachings. Um, so as we go through them, just pretend, you know, like all throughout this stuff he's also working miracles and yeah he's doing the, um, he's, do, he's doing the, the various healings telling the disciples what to do and fighting with the pharisees and the sadducees who are the uh, different groups of religious slash social authority and we might catch up on a few bits where luke uh deviates from the story that we've yep. laid out so far but today is all about the parabolas <laughs> um yep y equals x squared uh so There's a little version of the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is worth uh, briefly recapping. Uh, Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, don't judge others or you yourself will be judged, forgive others and you yourself will be forgiven. The Sermon on the Mount is such a radical piece of philosophy. Yeah, it is. It is. And I don't know how much or like how deeply it's it's connected with the rest of the Jesus story. Uh Uh-huh. Because it seems very separate in, in in both the times that it's shown up so far. It's its own basically self-contained yeah. text. I don't know. Um, but it is classic Jesus stuff. This is, this the, is the, the kind core. of quality content that I expect from my savior. Mm-hmm. JCQC. <laughs> um, I also like don't look at the, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye while paying no attention to the plank in your own eye. That combines, like, a good teaching about hypocrisy mm-hmm. with the trademark Jesus sarcasm. Mm. Um, and now we saw in Matthew and Mark there was this woman with the alabaster jar of perfume. Mm-hmm. that she And she broke it over Jesus' head to anoint him. Retirement nard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the nard jar. Nard jar, the human serviette. Mm-hmm. It's a joke that everyone will get. In this one, uh, she doesn't break it over his head. She So he's at a dinner with the Pharisees, mm-hmm. which I guess for like to eat, they like lay on their stomachs and like eat from the table. That's like the way that you sat at a table during this time period. Okay. So... Jesus is sounds like somebody's elaborate sexual fantasy. But... <laughs> this is what kept me up at night thinking about Jesus. No, um, so he's like you know like lying, reclining. It says is the word that my Bible uses. So, <laughs> so he's everybody's lying on their stomach. Apparently, maybe this is how the Last Supper happened. This is like really I, I didn't learn this as a child. Um, and and she pours the perfume on his feet and washes his feet with it and as well as with her tears and her hair Mm -hmm. well she yeah the perfume and tears wash and then she dries them yeah with her hair um and which is such an intimate thing yes and so in the in matthew and mark um some some jesus followers were upset because they were like oh you could have sold this perfume for a lot of money and given the money to the poor we don't get that here instead the pharisees say 
if Jesus were really a prophet, like he claims to be, he would know who this woman is and he would know that she's led a sinful life, which I assume means she's like some sort of sex worker. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, and if he knew that, he wouldn't let her touch him. It seems like Luke leans very heavily on this particular idea. Yes. Which is that the further you are from God, the more it means for you to come to him. Yes. And he says that the direct quote is, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. And thus sets up one of the stranger value propositions for me of Christianity as laid out in Luke. Yes. It's it's really interesting. It's this idea that like actually sinning can make you understand the power and grace of God's forgiveness Whereas, like, if you mostly obey the rules, um, you might sort of fool yourself into thinking, like, you don't really need God's forgiveness. Is this, like, like the core of, of born again or of, like, and I know that is not a proper term. Kind I'm sorry. Of. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, it's definitely a core part of that. And it's definitely, like, like becomes a core part of Christianity that I didn't see in Matthew and Mark, but that I think of as, like, very, very fundamental mm. to the way christians nowadays believe and in fact i'm not like a scholar on this subject or anything but i think that this is going to become solidified like pretty early on as a core tenet of christianity Mm. and you can really see how it would be like appealing to common people right like i mean if you think that you're not good if you think that you're not pure well if you're like a commoner sure a prostitute who is like shunned Mm -hmm. As and told that she's sinful, if then you have like a priest who's way stronger than the rest of these priests, like a super magical priest comes in and goes like, no, actually, God loves you. I mean, like you can really understand like why that would make her cry. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, that idea of radical forgiveness. Right. I also, we also, we talked about either last episode or the one before how uh, the Pharisees are like, you should wash your hands before you eat. And Jesus is like, no, <laughs> which, uh, you know. Not perhaps the most uh, practical advice yeah, in history terms didn't of come germ out theory, on his side. <laughs> but um, but I do think it's interesting. You know, we talk so much about in the Old Testament how like OCD it is and how it's so obsessed with purity, and like Jesus is just like, no, like touch me, cry on me, mm-hmm. you know, like wash my feet and I will wash yours. It's we're not like doing this OCD purity thing anymore. Mm. It's like I'm just I'm. With the world. It's, it's so interesting that that he is focused on, you know, forgiving humanity its mistakes, mm-hmm. but at the same time has some hard line rules that seem almost yes. impossibly uh, strict. Strict. Yeah. Thank you. That no human could possibly follow. Yeah. Thought crime, for example. <laughs> yeah. So after this, he's um, he's traveling around with the disciples. Um, in in Luke, it mentions several women: um, Mary Magdalene, who he drove seven seven demons out of, who is not the woman washing his feet with her hair, not the same woman. Mary Magdalene is never called a prostitute in the Bible. No, she's um, just a woman with a demon problem. Yeah, a <laughs> long running demon problem. <laughs> seven whole demons. Uh, we've also got Joanna, whose husband works for King Herod, and uh, Susanna, no details about her, but uh, it was interesting that a few women are named. Um, and now we're going to get into our first parable. So again, if you're not familiar 
with the idea of parables. It's like a little metaphorical. They're stupid stories. <laughs> it's a little metaphorical story with a moral at the end um, that Jesus uses to get a point across. Sometimes he explains the morals. Sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so this first one we're going to talk about is the Parable of the Sower, a classic sci-fi book by Octavia Butler about a Lorno in California who rejects her father's version of Christianity. Just saying, uh, Jesus tells this particular parable um, in all uh, three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it goes a little something like this. Farmer was out sowing seeds. Some fell along a rocky path and were eaten by birds. Some fell on rocky soil and bloomed at first but couldn't keep growing. Some fell among thorns, and when they started growing, they were choked out by weeds. And some fell on good soil and produced a huge crop. The disciples ask him to explain it, and after telling them they're dumb, as he often does... Uh, but to be fair, he's less condescending in Luke than he was in either of the previous books. That's very true. Um... He explains that the seed is the word of God. So some people hear it but don't get the chance to absorb it because Satan steals it away from them. And that's like the birds eating the seeds. Mm. Uh, some people hear it and try to follow it, but they're like rocky soil and the, the word only has shallow roots. So it like starts to grow, but then it, it doesn't get very far. Uh, some hear it but let uh, weeds choke it out of them. That would be like worldly concerns like wealth or whatever worldly weeds of wealth mm. and then you know some people are good and follow it and and bloom into beautiful god fruits or whatever sure Ooh, i could use a god fruit right now <laughs> god fruit sherbet that's a tasty dessert it's sherbet there's no second r sherbet are you sure about that <laughs> oh he's punning i punned you should we talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan? That seems natural to do now. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so we have Jesus. This guy, Jesus. I don't know if you've heard of him. <laughs> and we've got an expert in the law, quote unquote, coming to Jesus. And he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're an expert in biblical law. What does the law say? And the guy's like, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus is like, well, there you have it. Um, and the guy's like, but who counts as my neighbor? Jesus has got to give him, got to hit him with the parable. And the parable says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on by the other side. Yeah, so like, this guy, uh, assumed to be Jewish, <laughs> normal Jewish default guy. A mensch. Yeah, <laughs> gets robbed. Uh, and and the priest who's traveling by can't touch him because he would be touching blood. Mm. And that would make him ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. So he just crosses to the other side of the road, keeps going. Then a Levite comes along, which is also, I guess, probably means like a temple worker in this context. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, but like another priestly sort of... Person. Another fellow who's concerned about contamination. Yeah. And he does the same thing, cross to the other side, leaves the guy alone. Um, then a Samaritan is traveling by. And a Samaritan is not Jewish. A Samaritan is from from the land of Samaria. And in fact, there's a lot of bad blood between Samaritans and Jews. In fact, earlier in the book, some of them were very rude to Jesus. Yeah, he was passing through 
and tried to stay in the town. And they were like, get this Jewish guy out of here. We hate Jews. And then the disciples like offered to call down heavenly fire to kill them. And Jesus was like, OK, guys, like fucking chill. Also, you have that power. <laughs> like, I know. Like, well, Also, like, why that, are they that has offering? Nothing to do with, that has nothing to do with my teachings. I know. Yeah. Did you like, like go behind my back and get like magical fire from <laughs> God? Are you Elisha? Are there yeah. she bears here? Like fucking calm down. Um, But in the parable of the Samaritan stops to help the guy who was robbed and he treats his wounds and he puts him you know loads him onto his donkey and carries him to uh, the nearest inn gives the innkeeper money to look after him um says he'll be back to check in on him pay any additional money that he needs to pay um so you know the point is these supposedly holy jewish men didn't help the person who you would think would be their neighbor another jew but the supposedly wicked foreigner did mm. and then jesus says so who do you think that man's neighbor was? And the guy's like, the Samaritan. The Samaritan. <laughs> She's like, yup. <laughs> so the point is that, you know, like everyone's your neighbor. You have to love everyone. It's not just fellow Jews. A little different from Matthew and Mark, where he was like helping non-Jews is like throwing pearls before swine. Mm -hmm. it, it, this is very interesting because it radically expands his idea of of forgiveness and love mm -hmm. to Gentiles um, and everybody in the world, as long as they're kind and, and, and respectful. As, yeah. Well, not, not just kind of respectful, but like follow God's laws or like follow Jesus teachings. Fair enough. Um, but even then it's like, you're not supposed to, I mean, really you're, you're, you're supposed to love even your enemies. So right. It's actually not even conditional on being kind. It's supposed to be unconditional. Yeah. I mean, unconditional love of of, of everyone, everyone around you. Yeah. That's crazy. That sort of falls under the Im impossible to live by guidelines. But it's a much nicer one than like never it's, think of a sin. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a very beautiful goal. Yes. Uh, that no one could ever reach. But mm -hmm. trying seems to have some value. I disagree <laughs> oh no he's going alex jones <laughs> kindness makes you weak <laughs> a couple more quick teachings that we're gonna bullet point here when you pray openly ask for forgiveness don't be coy mm -hmm. god will give it to you because quote which of your which of you fathers if your son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead or if he asks for an egg we'll give him a scorpion I would never do that. Bad dad. If your child asks for an egg, and instead of an egg, give him a scorpion. You give him pointy scorpion <laughs> boy. And uh, he says, Father, who's this pointy man? <laughs> I wanted and a round say, man to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, it a egg. Touch him. <laughs> Bad dad. Bad dad. Uh, he also says, don't worry about physical needs or like clothing or appearances or Easy anything Easy for like him that. to say. I don't know. Um, he says, like, God will provide for you if he provides for the ravens and the lilies of the field. Why Doesn't would he not like a false equivalency? You? Come on. It does. But, you know, he says he says not only the ravens are provided for and think about how much more value you have than a raven. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, part of that value is I'm not a fucking raven. <laughs> and like, I can't eat dead bodies. I'm not into eating fucking trash. Yeah. <laughs> If I do, I get sick and die. <laughs> um, don't worry about people killing you. Only worry about what happens after death. 
Um, okay, then we get to three parables that all go together. They all have the same moral. Um, one of them appears in Matthew in a slightly different form. The other two are unique to Luke. And these are the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. Let's talk about lost sheep. Okay. If a shepherd has a hundred sheep mm-hmm. and loses one. Oh, is this going to involve math? It'll involve subtracting one from a hundred. I'm bored. <laughs> he'll, he'll leave the 99 and go find the lost one. Mm-hmm. And when he finds it, he'll bring it back and he'll be super happy and he'll tell all his friends, like, come celebrate with me. I found my sheep. This is the core idea of Luke that I have trouble embracing, that the the harder you struggle to come to God, mm-hmm. the more it means. So this is the, the direct quote is, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. And is is this supposed to be a commentary on on like on perception of, of redemption or perception of, of goodness as opposed to actual spiritual value of, of that repentance? I'm not sure. Let's come back to that. No. Wait, I okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you for relenting. So the next parable is the lost coin is the same thing. It's like if a woman loses a coin, mm-hmm. um, you know, she'll she'll search for it until she finds it, and then she'll be super happy and celebrate with her friends. Um, then we get to the prodigal son, and this this goes into more detail, mm-hmm. but it's like the same same basic message. So a man has two sons. The older one is obedient and good. Uh, the younger one asks... Is a little shit. Yeah, the other one's a little shitim. <laughs> he asks for his inheritance early, and then he goes out and spends it, like, partying. Um, And then he's, like, destitute. Um, And he's, like, working as a farmhand, like, just in exchange for a place to sleep with the pigs. Yeah. Which, again, Jews aren't supposed to have pigs. So he's out in the world. Yeah. He's on his rumspringer. <laughs> well, it's much worse than that because he has like nothing to go back to. Right? Like he has nothing. He doesn't have an inheritance. He has no future. Right. Um, But he decides to go back home and ask his father to hire him like just as a farmhand, like not take him back as a son because he doesn't deserve it because he was stupid. But it's but it's a tremendous moment. I mean, there's there's a tremendous amount of literature packed into this one parable that is yes. not evident in every other parable. Yes, because when he when he goes home. His dad sees him like coming, coming down the road from afar. And he's, you know, he's planning to just be like, dad, I'm a fucking idiot. I fucked everything up. Just like. I don't deserve to have anything. But if I'm going to work as a field hand, I would prefer to do it for you. Yeah. Because I owe you. But his dad sees him coming and his dad runs to him, hugs him, kisses him. Gives him a, you know, a fancy robe to wear. And he's like, we're having a feast. I'll kill the fattened calf. Rejoicing. Just pure joy. And the older son is like, well, what the fuck? Like, I've been doing. How come I don't get a feast for being like responsible and like working hard? And the dad's like, well, yo, like your life is good. Like what's mine is yours and always has been, always will be. Like, don't complain. I thought my other son was dead. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And like, that makes me happy. You know, you make me happy by being obedient and you already have your reward for it, which is we're prosperous. We work together every day. Everything's cool. But 
I thought this. I thought my other son was dead, and now he's alive. And this is this is okay. So most of the parables, I'm not like a crazy fan of, because uh-huh. I think uh, I don't know. It's possible that some of the literary references are out of date. <laughs> but this one, you mean you're not up on like two thousand year old like rural look, metaphors, seed, seed from sizes. Judea. I I did not specialize in seed yeah. sizes. Okay, in okay. School. Anyway, but this one has so much humanity and and uh, character packed into it yes. in such a short space that it's 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 very beautiful. It is, and it's very human, and it's the best illustration of this idea in Luke that I I still haven't well, wrapped so my head completely around. This parable really got on my nerves when I was a kid because so? I was the oldest child. Mm-hmm. I was very responsible. I was very obedient. I, I had a note to ask you specifically about sibling dynamics yes. related to the prodigal <laughs> son. My little sister was the one who was it, like she's she was not like ever like super rebellious or anything, but she was like more rebellious than me. And, you know, like every year when we were little, like she would eat all her Halloween candy Mm -hmm. and then she would want me to share mine with her, you know, and I would be like, uh, no. And I was like, um, I am responsible. I'm rationing out my Halloween candy. I don't have to share it with you. And then with the parent, with the parent, what the (laughs) fuck, who the fuck says that kind of monster does that? (laughs) Would the parent say, um, no, my parents would not make me share with her, but I, I would often share a little bit with her because she would fucking annoy me and do it mm. um hi christina i love you <laughs> um but yeah as an adult but how did but how did that story well so bother so, you when you were young when i was little i was like this is unfair mm. i was like wh- why doesn't the older responsible one get a reward you know um but he does get the same reward yeah that's what i didn't understand as, as a child is that it's just one is worthy of rejoicing and one is and uh, and one is not and one is just regular yeah it's just regular um so it's such a strange dynamic what yeah. what does it mean in in matthew and mark we we saw jesus portrayed as kind of a like a fundamentalist Yes. He wasn't necessarily introducing like a lot of new ideas. He was trying to get people to like pay attention to the scriptures. He was making a couple key edits, but this is new. Right? Like this version of God is different. The Old Testament God would never do this. Right? He was like happy with righteous people. Yes. He was angry with sinners. This God is cool with righteous people but he cares way more about saving sinners and he cares about them in a much more personal way mm-hmm. right like it's not god guiding the nation of israel and you know communicating with like a few like prophets and kings it's, it's not like, him it's not him fulfilling some ancient promise yeah because he always fulfills his promises right this like is it's a, not a legal a, contract this is a father seeing a son. a son coming back that yeah. he thought was like spiritually dead to him. Yes. Running to meet him and kissing him and hugging him. Like never would the Old Testament God do it. Even while like that, that son feels. And the, the best thing about this story for me is that when the son is in exile or self-imposed exile, when he's when he's prodigal, uh-huh. when he's out there. Yes. And he's working as a farmhand. He realizes what he's done. Yes. And he 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 understands like he is ready to. Uh, abase himself yes he he accepts it and he understands his mistake and he's like i left behind the one thing that i had yes that that meant something even more than my inheritance and he comes back with 
remorse and com- and humility self-abasement yes as like the baseline and he's embraced yes i i don't know i think and that's like very beautiful and human yes believable you don't see this like there were parables in matthew and mark and they included the parable of the lost sheep mm-hmm. but they did not like matthew had the parable of the lost parable of the lost sheep mark did not but in matthew it was like you know um if you're a shepherd you'll leave the 99 to go find the one lost one Mm -hmm. but it didn't have anything like you'll like in in luke it's like you'll put the lamb on your shoulders and you'll carry it home and you'll tell your friends how happy you are and you'll leave the 99 alone in the forest at night and it's these tiny details of scent of of, yeah of construction that that illustrate it so like in matthew and mark there were a lot of parables but they were more like Oh, the kingdom of God is near. Yep. Um, you know, judgment day is coming. Mustard seeds are small. God is going to sort the wicked from the righteous. You know, like the same sort of deal that we saw in the Old Testament over and over when we talked about judgment day and the apocalypse and the Messiah. Um, and then here it's like God's going to come run and like hug you. Which I assume that because this is like new to Luke that this is not a message of the historical Jesus. But I can really see how appealing this philosophy must be. Like, I can see why this began to spread and then would go on to become the most dominant religion in the world, you know? It, I mean, it because it's like you've just recorded your first number one single. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Nodding along in the control room. In the control room. We're like, this guy, this it's is gold. Gonna, <laughs> we're going to be millionaires. He's got it. Uh, we also see another shift here um i think it's in the next chapter where um in matthew and mark we were still working with the like old testament version of the afterlife which is like everyone dies and they're just chilling like dead in their graves Mm -hmm. and then on judgment day god will raise the dead and he will sort everyone into either the kingdom of heaven they won't be alive this this is a separate thing yes this is not an afterlife this is judgment day Yes. Um, And here we get Jesus telling a parable um, about a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus, Mm -hmm. not the Lazarus that is raised from the dead. Um, And in the story, like both die and the beggar is carried by angels to Abraham's side. Yeah. And the rich man goes to hell where he's in torment. So it's like they immediately they're not waiting around in their grave for the apocalypse. They go to heaven and hell immediately. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, it's the rich man who goes to hell and the beggar who goes to heaven. And the rich man is like, hey, um, could you send that like beggar down and give me some water? Because like I'm rich. And then Abraham's like, that's not how this works anymore. (laughs) Yeah. In just a couple of sentences, this lays out more about the sort of modern pop conception of heaven and hell, I think, than anything else in the Bible so Mm -hmm. far. Mm hmm. To my to my untrained eyes, yes, and my untrained thighs. <laughs> yes, I did skip like that. <laughs> uh, let's see. People bring babies for Jesus to bless. Mm-hmm. Um, the disciples try to shoot them away. Disciples hate babies. The disciples hate babies. They're like, please stop wasting Jesus' time. I have that tattooed on my belly. Stupid infants, and yeah, I can see it because you're not wearing a shirt. Mm-hmm. Disciples is spelled wrong. (laughs) Um, But Jesus wants to see the kids uh, and wishes adults 
had faith like children. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the uh, the in the King James version. It says like suffer the little children to come unto me. Mm-hmm. So if you hear the phrase suffer the children, that's where that's from. And he also says if you cause a child to sin, that's like a millstone around your neck. Uh, just quick uh, note to the Catholic Church about that. Then we get... I don't think they're listening. <laughs> then we get this story. Um, the rich man comes to Jesus yeah. and says, you know, what do I got to do to get some of that sweet, sparkly, eternal life? Sweet heaven juice. Yeah. He's like, I follow all the rules. Yeah. I love everybody. Yeah. I've never lusted after that. Whatever. I've never lusted after this. Yeah. Never coveted anything. And Jesus is like, great, you're doing great. Um, just one more step. One more thing. All you have left to do is just sell all your belongings, give the money to the poor. And start following me. And start following me. Um, which is, you know, uh, a bit of a classic cult leader <laughs> uh, move. But, you know. Uh, oh, do you think Jesus has like preferred vendors that like give him, like, <laughs> give him a kick? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna say it's it's cool, you know. For for the purpose of the story, we're gonna say it's cool. We're gonna say it's cool. Yeah. What does that mean? It means like we're gonna give. Stop Jesus... waggling your eyebrows at me. <laughs> I'm not waggling my eyebrows. It means that you know we're gonna pretend. Stop it, <laughs> listeners. I'm literally not waggling. I'm not pumping these brows. These brows. I didn't go. I didn't. I skipped brow day. Okay, my brows can't even raise. Brow They're day. so weak. The rest of my face is muscular as fuck. <laughs> but my brows are weak as hell. You've also forgotten all of your improv training. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, deny the premise. Who cares? <laughs> this is a no-and room. Look, what I'm fucking trying to say here is this fucking rich guy. Jesus tells him to sell all this shit. Mm-hmm. And the rich man is quote-unquote... Very sad because <laughs> he doesn't want to sell a shit because yeah. he has a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I grew are up. Gonna t- are you going to tell your eye of the needle story? I grew up. We grew up in a in a wealthy suburb. Grew up attending a wealthy church. And I was taught that the eye of the needle was a nickname for a rock formation near Jerusalem. Um, I've also read that it's the, uh, that it was a gate in Jerusalem. Mm, Like the, the fly gate. Yeah. There was like the, yeah, Yeah. there was like the like shit gate. And then there was like, like the jackal gate. And then there was like a really there was like a nice gate. Shitgate sounds like the least surprising scandal of all time. <laughs> like if you hear about it, you'd be like, oh, I understand. Yeah. So I was taught that this was like the eye of the needle was a nickname for something that like a camel could go through. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know, like maybe like kind of a tight squeeze, but like doable, you know, Um. A, there's no historical evidence for that. There's no... And that's weak theology. I mean, that's just like disrespecting the text. And and B is disrespecting the text. Because even if it were a rock formation, <laughs> Jesus' point here is not like, oh, it's going to be like a, a 
kind of hard for a rich guy. It's like, no, this is very difficult. No, it's you need not to sell everything. Happening. Wealth is like inherently a sin. Mm. It's not just like, oh, you're going to have a, a tough time of this. Yeah, none of the parables about people coming back from the edge of sin and, and coming to the Lord are about like, he was very rich, but right. he found a way to the Lord. It's like he was very rich and he went to hell while the beggar went to heaven. That's right. You know, it's not, it's not ambiguous at all. And I don't know that that particular teaching, I think in retrospect was a, something that started me on the way to atheism mm. was being told that like, Oh, like, you know, if you read the Gospels, Jesus is very clear that being rich is bad. But, you know, we're rich, so it's fine. And you as know, soon as you start excusing the little bits of it. And, like, you know, we're, like, obviously, so we grew up, Nico and I both grew up uh, outside of Berkeley, like, in a suburb of, of Berkeley, California, very liberal. And so, like, the attitude was kind of like... You know, like, we're the only Christians around, so we're clearly the rich people that are going to fit through the eye of the needle. You know, like, all the the rich people in the suburb, the suburbs around us who aren't Christians, like, they're the bad ones. But we're fine. And, like, it's just so hypocritical and so lazy and so not what Jesus taught that when I started to realize that, I was like... This is bullshit. <laughs> Fair enough. There you go. The core of Lauren's atheism in a single passage. Not the core core, but like a factor. A factor. Now, some more things happen uh, that we don't have time to go into, unfortunately. Uh, but let's talk about the Easter story and the things that are different in the Book of Luke. It's always a classic every year. <laughs> uh, so... Jesus enters Jerusalem, uh, blah, 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 goes around fighting with the Pharisees, yada, yada. Um, in this version, it says Satan entered Judas. And, Very interesting. And that's why he betrayed Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, definitely, this is, so we've seen a new version of God, who is very personal. This is also a much more personal version of Satan. Like, this is not the accusing angel of the Old Testament. No. Not the Satan in Job, who is very, like, interventionist, but could not, like, possess people like a demon. Right. And here, Satan acts like all the other demons that Jesus exercises. And what does it mean that Judas's betrayal is the result of direct action by Satan? Right. As opposed to human greed. Weakness. Well, I think weakness. it's, like, greed and weakness that, that allows Satan to take hold of him uh, see th this is these are these distinctions that i don't i don't really have calibrated sure in my, sure in my I'm, I'm like okay well is satan a demon that's making him do that or is he being weak and greedy and then he's doing it as a person i mean i think that did but it but it's it's i know it's some combination it's like it's yeah it's like a combination and i think different different christians would would tell you different explanations well they can all go screw <laughs> they can all go straight to hell with their buddy satan um in this version when he when jesus prays in the I'm garden, sorry i'm sorry christians you do not need to go screw. 
<laughs> Note to our Christian listeners. Please don't go screw. <laughs> You're cool. We don't know why you listen to this podcast, but we love you very much. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, it's really cool. Uh, when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane in this version, an angel appears and strengthens him. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Again, it's kind of like the inverse of that, right? It's like, does he have the strength to withstand crucifixion or does he receive it from an angel? Because that's that's the beautiful part about his about his story in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's most tested and weakest, that he's that he has serious doubts mm-hmm. about the plan. Uh, and and the best part about it is that he goes through with it anyways. Yes. That he's strong enough to do it. And so is it better that he's strong enough to do it or is God supporting him like by sending an angel to strengthen him? Yes. This time also in the Garden of Gethsemane when a disciple or whoever cuts the ear off of uh, one of the people who's come to arrest Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus magically heals it, um, which doesn't happen in Matthew Mark. But then so when he's up on the cross and he dies... In Matthew and Mark, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. And here he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So clearly there's... There's an edit there. <laughs> there's a different school of thought forming mm-hmm. now where Jesus can't say something that's that could be read as A, blasphemous, or B, like mistaken. Because Jesus can't really like make mistakes at this point. And you know what? Definitely that, not mistakes that are blasphemous. That makes sense with the with the angel strengthening him. Yeah. That even though he might have been weak in that moment and in Matthew and Mark, which are gospel, literally, <laughs> um, you know, it's, he's described as being as being weak or, or doubting in those moments. Well, he's not described as such like, well, you can read that. Right. It's like fair enough. That's fair. You're right. I think that's. The reading that's intended, but it doesn't ever say that he's doubting. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally fair. But I think they're trying to close loopholes and and fill in gaps here by saying like an angel strengthened him. That I agree. Like, there's human there's human doubt and an angel reinforces it. Yeah. So the power of the Lord keeps him going on. Yeah. Perfect. Sailing flawless. Into that sunset. Yeah. Where he dies on the cross. Uh, of course, he is resurrected on the third day. Um, he again appears to women first. It's a slightly different group of women, but mm. Mary Magdalene is still there. Um, All about the ladies. Yes. And uh, in this version, they tell the disciples, but the disciples don't believe them. Um, fucking every woman knows what that's like. Uh, in this one, he does this extra appearance after he's resurrected mm-hmm. to two disciples, like not... Not the main uh, 11 disciples, Judas is, has killed himself by now, but some like satellite disciples. Well, yeah, In earlier on in the book, he establishes this core of 70. 72. Yeah. 12 times 6. Mm. Yeah. So every disciple goes out and gets six disciples. Yeah. And then... They get six disciples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as long as everybody keeps finding new people and paying it upwards, yeah. <laughs> everybody gets rich. Um, Spiritually speaking, of course. Jesus was the first multi-level marketing scheme. Anyway, he appears to these two these two satellite disciples uh, who are walking down the road, and he they don't recognize him. He's like not he doesn't look like Jesus, and he asks them why they're so sad, and they're like, oh, 
you must be new in town because what everybody's talking about right now is this guy that we thought was the Messiah, but then he got killed. And then Jesus is like, well, actually, that was the Messiah. And actually, it me. <laughs> Hello, it me. And then they're like, whoa, it's Jesus. Um, this seems to be formulated specifically to counter the correct argument that the Messiah foretold in the scriptures does not die, mm-hmm. certainly not at the hands of Israel's enemies. Right. Um, which does seem to be a pretty big hole in Christian doctrine now that I've read the Old Testament all the way through. Mm-hmm. That, that like, like all of, despite all of their obvious straining yeah you can't really make him and then like so the the you know the messiah is supposed to appear at the end of days Mm -hmm. and and then like the story of jesus is basically like the messiah appears but it's not the end of days but like all that stuff about the end of days that's still going to come true and it's still gonna be the kingdom of god but like the messiah appeared first but then he's gonna come again you know like i was like most of these prophets were wrong but some of them were right but only about very specific things yeah it doesn't it doesn't make sense if you need your messiah to be foretold in the old testament mm-hmm. which uh I, I don't need uh really i mean that's i mean you told me that you needed the messiah foretold in the old testament <laughs> i changed my mind baby why didn't you do you have to tell me about it on air i'm sorry I just didn't want you to freak out. I didn't want you to freak out. I mean, not wanting me to freak out doesn't make me not freak out. (laughs) I feel like genuinely, I'm like, oh, Nico's hurt. I need to comfort him. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm just lying using my voice. Uh, I'm a bad boyfriend. (laughs) So Jesus then uh, appears to the main 11 disciples. Uh, In this one, he has them like, touch him and he eats food mm-hmm. to prove that he's physically literally resurrected from the dead uh and then he ascends to heaven yay mm-hmm. let's take a break that's right we're gonna take a quick break you're gonna hear a little bit of music and we're gonna be back with more sunday school dropouts plus special guest special guest okay we're gonna see you in a minute bye
Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And we're excited to bring you an interview with a very special guest, Nicole Cliff. Nicole was the co-creator of The Toast, a niche women's website catering mainly to the interests of queer archivists. She lives in Utah with her husband and 2.5 kids. That means she uh, has two kids and is pregnant with another one. And now she mostly recaps TV shows for Decider, Vulture, and L.com, where she is also a relationship advice columnist. Nicole, welcome to the show. It's so nice to be here. It is so nice to have you. Um, So we will start by asking you, as we ask all of our guests, what is your religious background? Sure. Um, Well, uh, my mother is Catholic and did her best uh, to make that happen. (laughs) My mother is Catholic and did her best. Done. (laughs) Done. That's all you need to know about my life. Um, I think she still is, is holding out great hope that that's where I, this whole thing will eventually wind up, I think. I see. And I feel like there's at least a 30% chance the Catholics are right. So you never know. I'm prepared to be very flexible, like when the final judgment happens. I'll jump on anyone's <laughs> bandwagon at that point. It seems like they're doing well. Uh, my father is an atheist and has um, always been an atheist, and he's great at it. Then I became a Christian about two years ago. And so how old were you when you became a Christian? I would have been uh, 33. 33. That's a good I age to know. become a Christian. Mm-hmm. My Ava Braun <laughs> year, also Jesus. <laughs> um, so what inspired you to pursue Christianity as an adult who was already married with kids? Sure. Well, it was very unexpected. Um, and I still think it's very funny that it happened. Uh, <laughs> I'm still very surprised and very amused that it happened. I would say that if you pulled like a group of my friends and were like, which of us is the least likely to become religious, I probably would have been pretty high up there. Uh, so it was, it was definitely a surprise for everyone, myself included. Uh, my mom thought I was punking her, as did my dad. <laughs> um, my dad was really great about it after the initial punking phase wore off. Um, I had, it's, uh, I wrote about this a little bit in the piece I did for Christianity Today um, about my conversion, which you are welcome to read. Uh, but it was kind of a two-parter. Um, I was, we were worried about one of our kids. There was a medical thing and I was a little stressed about it. And I was sitting on the couch one day and I just said, um, sort of out loud, be with me to sort of nothing, mm-hmm. uh, which seemed like a really weird thing. For me to have done. Um, and so I thought, you know, that's strange. <laughs> because I certainly, I had no idea like who I'd be saying that to or what it might mean. Um, and the situation resolved itself and moved on. And occasionally, like over the next few weeks, I would look back and be like, man, it's weird that happened. Just that, you know, our minds go to strange places, you know, when we're stressed, especially about kids, I think in general. Um, sure. But I very much saw it as a no atheist in a foxhole sort of moment of personal weakness and forgave myself and moved forward. <laughs> How magnanimous of you. <laughs> I am nothing if not eternally generous to myself and my motivations <laughs> in all things. Uh, and then uh, the next thing that happened was probably about a month later. Uh, I think about a month later, I was just noodling around on the internet, which is most of my life, as I'm sure you're familiar with as an inter- internet person. I've, I've heard of the internet. I've never been there personally. <laughs> It's a wild country. It's a wild and crazy land. Uh, 
Mallory and I, uh, who is my, some of you may know, was my partner at The Toast. And yes, generally... And she has been on the show as well. Oh, fantastic. Great. Look, she's the best. I'm sure she, she knows is. way more about the Gospels than I. She knows uh, a shit ton. <laughs> she is so informed. No, it's great. She and her sister are who I ask my my dumb newbie questions to. Like, I'll text one of them at three in the morning and be like, do dogs actually go to heaven? Expecting that they have the answer. <laughs> actually, um, so Mallory was on our Ecclesiastes episode. And Ecclesiastes does have a verse where it's like, do animals go to heaven? We don't know. Nobody can say for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a pretty good answer. That's my answer to almost all theological things. So many theological questions. My answer is like, is this my business? But so uh, I was noodling around on the internet and Mallory and I had done uh, this feature for the toast um, a couple of times called Gabin About God, uh, usually illustrated with um, screen caps from Simpsons episodes uh, involving Ned Flanders. And it would <laughs> always be me asking just this like total bargain basement question about the basic tenets of Christianity or how things worked. And then she would do her best to answer. Uh, which she did a great job with. And so I was just uh, looking at one of them and someone in the comments had said, you know, I don't know much of anything about modern Christianity or especially like modern Christian theology. You know, if I wanted to read somebody, who should I read? And Mallory had mentioned a few people and she mentioned uh, Dallas Willard, uh, who was a uh, the chair of the philosophy department at I think UC San Diego. I think okay. it was the San. I think it was San Diego, um, and is a passed a few years ago. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll Google that guy. You know, that might be interesting. Um, so I googled him. Uh, it's a great name, Dallas Willard. It's very inspiring, and it sounds like sounds he knows like what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. And the first thing that came up was actually uh, an obituary of him that Mallory's dad had written for Christianity Today. And I thought, oh, what a convenient thing for me to have found. This will bring me up to speed. And I clicked on it and I was reading it and it was a little bit about his life and also just random things he would say. He was the sort of dude who you'd ask him some kind of like open-ended question and he would just say something like eerily wise and perfect about it. So there were a couple of those. And I was reading through it. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then I just burst into tears. Oh, wow. Like, I just found it um, inexplicably and deeply moving for no apparent reason. Like, I wasn't sad. I wasn't happy. I, I was just, like, crying. Hmm. Um, and I'm a very uh, chill, upbeat person. So I don't do a lot of that um, traditionally. Like, I'm just a, a very even-keeled soul. Uh, and But I was just crying hysterically and so I was sort of mentally like where am I in my menstrual cycle <laughs> this is curious um and uh you know finished reading the obit closed tab moved forward with my day likely read something on reddit about relationships and <laughs> a little later controversial in the day, dogs <laughs> I started crying again um lasted for a few minutes. I think my husband was about to come back into the room. So I kind of like pulled it together and pretended I hadn't been crying for no apparent reason. And then it just didn't stop. So it went on for a couple of days, uh, which was again, very strange. And a, a not in any kind of context, like nothing in particular would kick it off. Again, I wasn't feeling sad. I thought I was going a little crazy. 
Um, and it was just very, very strange. And because the first thing had happened, the first crying jag had started when I was reading the Dallas Willard obit, I was like, maybe I could buy one of his books, you know, like mm -hmm. Christianity has a total stranglehold over the nation, culturally and politically. Over the Christian book market as well. Over the Christian <laughs> book market as well. I, I feel like I could know a little more about what people think because, you know, like I sure. had done my thesis on the intersection between medieval and Renaissance English drama. Like I was, I was familiar with olden Christianity, but sure. as far as I know, it's just snakes and stuff now. Like I don't. Yeah. That's the main thing. Just that you the know. snake handling mainly. Yeah. Um, and then Catholicism, which I'm also familiar with. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if I hear an ambulance, I reflexively cross myself. That's, that's what's left. Of Snakes and crosses. hundreds of thousands of years of my mother's family and Irish people in general. Uh, so I bought one of his books and I read it and I cried a bunch um, randomly. And then I was looking at that same comment thread. I think Mallory had mentioned another book or two. Uh, Lewis Smead's uh, spiritual memoir, My God and I, which I bought cried the entire time, uh, which again, I'm hiding from everybody around me the best mm. I can because it's just <laughs> happening. It's literally like when one of your friends has irritable bowel syndrome and it's just happening at odd moments and you're just trying it's, to rearrange your life around it. It's literally like, like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that. So just constant, constant crying. And that went on for a week or two. And then I was like, okay, like this is not a sustainable way to live my life. I'm going to have to do something about this. Um, and I would like to emphasize at this point that at no point did it occur to me that I was starting to believe in God. Like, I don't know why I didn't make that connection. It was really very freaky. Like it just, I, it, it sounds so stupid to be like, well, obviously you were having some kind of like, you know, religious, like awakening, questioning feelings, but it really just seemed like I'm crying all the time. Hmm. I'm reading books about Jesus. There's obviously no logical connection between these two things. Yeah, there's there's no intersection on the Venn diagram. These are what, separate. What could be happening here? Uh, I think the the last book I read before I decided I had to get serious uh, was um, "Take This Bread" by Sarah Miles, which is still it's it's the book I tell people to read when they're like, "What happened?" Because I think it's a it's a very it's a beautiful book. Um, she's this lovely like queer woman in San Francisco who was an atheist and then randomly walked into a church when Eucharist was happening. And now she runs the biggest food pantry in San Francisco. <laughs> and is, wow. She's amazing. She's a lot of fun. She's fantastic. Uh, her book is beautiful. I highly recommend it. But I bought it and there were more tears. And so I said, okay, like this is, I've got to do something about this because you can't just cry forever all the time. Uh, so I said, okay, um, well, Probably I should talk to someone about this. Uh, it did not really occur to me that perhaps a mental health professional might also be like a logical first step for the crying <laughs> all the time. But I thought I should talk to, maybe I should talk to uh, a Christian about Jesus. They seem like they might know something. Mm -hmm. um, they've heard of him, yeah. They've heard of it. It's out there. Uh, and so my first thought, because I'm very close to Mallory's parents it was like I could talk to them because they're they're both pastors, you know. Yeah, like they, they they definitely know. They sit around all day 
waiting for someone to get in touch with him and ask if they want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> um, but I thought like on the same level, I'm like, well, they're A of all, they're professionals, you know, like they're going to put in, they're going to have a cell. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's going to be like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but not in a pressury <laughs> way. Like that's never been their deal. Um, it's, it's never come up and I've known them for years. Uh, Price is for closers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It would just be too much. Uh, and so I thought, oh, I could talk to Laura, um, who's Mallory's sister, who is also a very devout Christian, but not a professional. You know, she writes about other things and I like her right. a whole bunch. And that way, you know, like, obviously I'm not going to become religious or anything like that. And it'll be less awkward when I see them at holidays and things like that, because they won't know that this happened sure. to me. Sure. Um, so I emailed Laura and I said, it was a really awkward email. I was just like, you know, hey, <laughs> what's happening? What's up? How's things? It's like the reverse of the usual. It's like, have I heard the good news? <laughs> can, <laughs> totally. can you tell me the good news? I, I think <laughs> I think I said, like, I've just been um, I've been thinking a lot about Jesus. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk about it. OK, bye. Like, you know, <laughs> did you see that dumb thing that ran an XOJ? Like just casual subject change. Um, and then I hit send and I was like, oh, no, like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> because until then, like this had just all been my problem. And now it was out there in the world. Um, so Laura and I have talked about this a bunch since because, you know, she gets this email. Right. And of course, like immediately texts her mom and is like, Jesus is trying to come for Nicole. Start praying now. <laughs> you know, circle the wagons. And then she like. You've been training for this moment your whole life. <laughs> this is on you. Take some deep breaths, you know. And so Laura writes back very faux casual, sort of like, oh, cool. Yeah, I know if you want, we could talk about Jesus or not. We could talk about dogs, like whatever. <laughs> it's all good. How's next Tuesday at 9 a.m.? And uh, <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, and I had no, like, I had no idea what I was going to say about it, right? Like, I didn't have any actual questions like why am I crying all the time is not really something she's going to be able to answer sure and, and again I, I still wasn't thinking any of this was real um so I'm not sure what I expected to get out of that call um and the so I was kind of dreading it and thinking like I would try to get that part of the conversation out of the way with early and then we could talk about Joan Didion or something uh but instead, like about an hour before the call, it was like, you know, when you pull the slot machine thing and stuff lines up, I was just like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, I've just, uh, no, man, crap. Like, I just believe this stuff. That's what's happened. <laughs> I started believing in God and I have a lot of feelings about it suddenly. <laughs> like, oh, no, I'm a Christian. Um, and of course, as soon as like that thought occurred to me, I'm like, obviously, that's what this is. That's why you're reading books about Jesus and crying suddenly at odd moments. Like you're overwhelmed with emotion because like, you know, you've, you've had a religious experience um, that just didn't introduce itself well or clearly on the way in. Um, so when Laura called, I was just like, hey, um, so I think I want to do that. And she was like, man, this is a much easier call than I had anticipated. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to, you know, make a case or something. I was like, nope, I'm on board. 
And uh, we cried um, a lot, which by then I'm great at. And, uh, and then we laughed a bunch because it's objectively very funny. And then she said, I'm going to send you some books. And here are some other books. And then I bought a Bible. And nice. now I was saying this to Jane, uh, Jane Marie the other day. Like I hadn't, I sort of thought that if you were religious, you owned a Bible. But that's not true. Uh-huh. If you're a Christian, you have like six Bibles. Like I don't we even know like where some of these Bibles. came from. <laughs> like I've got all kinds of Bibles now. There's tons. Our, our spare room is stacked with Bibles now and we're both atheists. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an important book. It is. <laughs> no, so that, I, That's uh, interesting. That's interesting that, that so much of your story, Nicole, is about reading books. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like the Bible just wasn't one of the first five or 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 so uh it, it makes me curious because this is a show where we read the bible so i'm sort of curious during that time like what was what was your relationship to scripture before you started really like confronting your ideas about if you were a christian or not absolutely um so i had read the bible before um you know it's it's you know i have a degree in american and english literature and it comes up a lot you may have it noticed does. this. Had you read it straight through or? Yeah. No, I had read okay. it. Um, mm. I had read it straight through. And I, I sang in an Anglican uh, church choir when I was uh, a high school student. Um, hmm. And so I had some, I had stuff from that. And uh, I had gone to Catholic schools, which are free in Canada. But I, so I had read the Bible. Um, it had not, you know, profoundly moved me. Sure. Particularly. He seemed like a cool dude. Good ideas, etc. Not e- not uh, even Zephaniah, though. I mean, <laughs> I I knew that the Catholics had either had books that other people didn't have, or didn't have books that the other Bibles had. Yeah, I was familiar with with that. I um, actually just learned this when we started the podcast. I was raised Protestant and had no idea that the Catholics had these fucking secret extra books. It's wild. And uh, no, and Catholics, I think Catholics don't have Micah, or is it just that Protestants love Micah and talk about it all the time? <laughs> I'm not sure. They do. Uh, Micah, I'm pretty sure they, they've got Micah. Whether they talk about it, I don't know. They should talk about it more. It's very popular with the young Protestants. People have tattoos <laughs> everywhere. Uh, I also, oh, that's, a, we, we can talk about the, the hipster Christian thing later, which is an adorable subculture that I've <laughs> recently learned about. Uh, but no, during my process of becoming really like scripture was not something it was, I'm to this day, I would say I'm, I feel so much more, com- I think it still somehow feels above my pay grade. Like I do it. I read scripture. I have the very popular, she reads truth app, which tells me what to read and hmm. I read it and you can highlight things. Um, but there's something for me, I, it's probably being Catholic culturally, which is just that I'm really more comfortable having a middleman in place. (laughs) Sure. So I love, uh, you know, I love reading books about other people's experience of faith. You know, Henry Nouwen is, uh, one of my favorite theologians. Um, I love, I love people's memoirs of finding faith, things where they talk about their faith. Uh, other people explaining the Bible to me, like uh, in preparation for this, I have uh, N.T. Wright's Luke for Everyone, nice. Me, which is a concept. I'm just like, yes, that's what I need. 
I need Luke for everyone. That's that's where I need <laughs> Luke to Luke for dummies. <laughs> Luke for dummies, exactly. And uh, so it's, I find scripture very overwhelming in that respect. That's very interesting. And it can be a little, when you're looking for a church too, it's a, uh, it can be a weird, a weird vibe because of course, like I definitely, you know, have a concept of the Bible as something that I think God wants us to have and basically the way it currently looks, but it's very messy. And, you know, it's mm. written 80 to 100 years after things happen in some cases and much longer in others. And there are things that are allegorical. And I think for me, like, you know, when I come to scripture, I believe I find truth. But, you know, I'm not someone who's like, every word of this is infallible, which is right. on many church websites. And yeah. I'm just immediately, like I was I was looking at a, a new church near me and they were like, you know, we believe every word of the Bible to be absolutely like the infallible Inerrant, word of God. I'm like, that and, just yeah. seems challenging to think. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure how much I'm going to enjoy your experience. Um, there are parts that contradict the other parts. Uh, <laughs> Have not you to considered? Say that I don't. <laughs> Even Ned Flanders says that. Um, which is not to say that I don't, you know, that I'm not profoundly moved by scripture. Or I don't think that it's, it's the word of God or something that I find truth in or, or meaning. It's just, it just, it seems very, you know, beautiful and, and messy to me. And yeah. Obviously and it seems, has, it seems limiting to insist that it's inerrant. Yes. Yes. I think that's, that, that would be how I feel. So it came, but yes, I would say scripture to, to back up to our original point. Scripture for me uh, was something I, I felt like I, I prepped for by reading other people talking about it a lot I first. See. So um, in particular, we're talking about the book of Luke for this episode. Um, and I think it's a good episode to have you on because I feel like Luke introduces um, a, a big theological shift to a more personal God who very much cares about individuals in a personal way. Um, did you, did you see that as you read Luke? Very much. No, it was, uh, it was very endearing. Uh, like I, I love the, the disciples slash the apostles in general because they're always such fuck ups. Yeah. Like they're just, <laughs> just bozos. Like it's so inspiring to me that Jesus was, it literally seems like he was like, well, I need 12 people. And he's like, like, my mom doesn't check the eggs when she buys them in a store. Like, it's a very Canadian <laughs> thing of her where she's like, well, why would I subject someone else to a cracked egg? We should all share the risk equally of cracked eggs. But that's so Jesus <laughs> with these guys, you know, and they were just, I think Luke in particular, I mean, all the gospels sort of reveal this, but just the constant bombarding him with stupid questions and trying to one up each other and who's going to come out slightly better in the narrative. And just just being a real human messy hassle to him 24-7 yes. <laughs> is something I see so much in Luke. And I just, I love in general. It makes me feel better about myself, which is <laughs> what we so many of us come to religion for. So I guess I have, I have one more question for you, um, which is, you know, you're, you're a modern lady. You can choose whatever you want to believe. Um it's easy in our world to be like, you know, spiritual but not religious or um, to, I guess, 
take good parts of Christianity without fully like becoming a Christian. Um, what is important to you about going all in and being a Christian? Sure. Um, well, it had always struck me, uh, like I was always surprised by the existence of people who were sort of religious, you know, mm-hmm. like, obviously, like, I didn't think any of it was true. Uh, but it had always surprised me that there were people who purported to believe that like Jesus was the son of God who, you know, died for us. And one day we will see him and he'll be like, you really fucked that up or you did your best. And that that wasn't their whole deal. Sure. I'm like, if you like, if you honestly believe that, like, shouldn't that be a larger part of your life? <laughs> than, yes. You know, like, I, I think expressing that often. It at football games. Yeah. And so for me, like, so when I, became religious, I, I was going to do it kind of whole ass or, you know, not at all in that respect. Yeah. It's all, you know, uh, it's, I think the thing with attempting to follow Jesus and which I am terrible at as are well, most aren't people we all? who make yeah. an effort to do it. <laughs> there are people who are not trying to do it at all, who do a much better job. That's just, you know, how life is, um, is that I like to think that he's pretty understanding, but the bar is really high, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, I would say the most stressful thing about becoming religious is that, like, just the, the gulf between just going about and living your daily life and actually doing the things he said we're supposed to be doing is so immense. And then mm-hmm. looking at the world around us and just being frustrated constantly by the other people who say they're doing this like it's just i would there are people who try to opt out of how bad christianity is you know by being like Uh i'm a follower of christ like as opposed Uh to being like a christian but it's it's so no true scotsman like there are plenty of people i think are just total douchebags and i would really love to be like well they're not really a christian but it's just not true nope they're on my team Sure. They absolutely are. You can't get away with that nonsense. We would all love that. How do you, um, does your husband also believe and, and how do you deal with um, raising your kids? Yeah, no, that's that's one of the biggest things that can happen to people. Um, no, he is not religious. Uh, he is, uh, it was, it's funny because I'd always found it annoying um, how soft he was on religion because he's, hmm. he's uh, more of an agnostic like more of an atheist leaning agnostic. Uh, so he's a, he's got like a PhD in condensed matter, the- theoretical condensed matter physics and stuff. So I was, I was like, why aren't you an atheist? He's like, why would these things have anything to do with themselves? <laughs> you know, he's like, I don't mm. know, maybe there's a thing. We don't know why anything is, um, which had always bothered me because I really wanted him to take a harder line on how nonsensical religion is in general. Uh, but conveniently, that's how he feels. So that mm. when I very awkwardly confessed to him two weeks after the fact that I had become a Christian. Uh, he was great about it. Um, I think he takes me uh, a little more seriously sometimes, I think, now when I have opinions on things. Because he, for some reason, like, he thinks it's better you, not You've got just... the weight of the Christian world behind you now. Yeah, he feels like, I feel like, you know, someone someone cares what I do and think. So he, I've got that going for me, which is nice. Um but uh, I think I'm slightly better. It's like just slightly better to be married to 
now that I'm a Christian, um, because even <laughs> sure. though I don't try to convert him at all, like I do feel the pressure of being like, I am Jesus's front woman as far as he's concerned. So if I'm just an asshole, like that would be bad. And I stopped telling little lies about stuff. Like that was one of the most awkward parts, I would say, of having become a Christian, just that I felt this obligation not to tell like a bunch of just like small lies every day about nothing important. Like, you know, if he'd asked me to buy milk and I didn't really want to buy milk because I didn't want to stop at the store, like before I might have been like, oh, honey, I forgot to get the milk. But now I either stop for the milk or I'm like, I'm sorry, I decided I just didn't feel like it. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) All of which is ultimately, I think, probably good for your marriage. Um, He is fine with me taking the kids to church, um, which I, I don't even know how I feel about. I think because I became a Christian as an adult. Like, and also because I feel like God was like, okay, you're a Christian now. Like, I feel like it's something God did to me. So hmm. I don't feel like a tremendous sense of responsibility in some ways, which is terrible for the religious lives of my children. It's just, I, I don't know. I think it's such a personal thing. Like, it's not, sure. it's, it's, I certainly, you know, my mother did her best and it did nothing. Although, if you would ask my father, he says that it was my mother's fault that all this happened, that ultimately her, you know, trying to make it happen many, many years ago, laid the framework for all this. So who's to say? Hmm. But no, he's, uh, he's been great about it. He's not even like, I would have been, I would have been super mad at the beginning. And eventually I would have gotten used to it if it had gone the other way. But also I would have been really patronizing and condescending about it a lot. And he never (laughs) does that. Like, he's just, he's great about that. Like, there's never any hint of like, well, you'll believe anything when we're disagreeing about like some sort of leak in the news. Well, that's great. No, it's that been, sounds it's like been really you were just nice. fishing, fishing for drama, weren't you, Lauren? <laughs> yeah, I, just, I really wanted to like ruin your marriage on air, but I guess. <laughs> no, I'm trying to. I haven't, you know, like again, it's a very popular thing to do. Become like I know it's like obviously within the circle of 200 people on Twitter. Like it's a really weird thing. Uh, one of my greatest fears is that I will become a Christian again um, because. <laughs> Uh, you know, just like I didn't have a good experience with it as a child, um, you know, child meaning up to age 18. Hey, it can be real bad. I, yeah. And I worked so hard to get free of um, some of the toxic things that I was taught. But I'm really glad that for you, it's like uh, been such a beautiful experience. Um, I, you know, it seems like uh, less frightening to me now that I might, I mean, I don't think I'll ever become a Christian again, but I'm glad that it can be something other than just, oh, I'm going back to this thing that I learned that was toxic because I'm scared. I'm glad that for you, it was something, um, expansive and beautiful. Thank you. You know, it's, I have two friends who grew up in really toxic, uh, Christian environments, um, who are still Christians. And it's just a fucking real tough road. You know, like I I say all the time that like I, when you sort of fall into it as an adult outside of a particular like awful cultural context, you know, it's very easy to just be like, oh man, he said great things. The general gist of how we're supposed to live our lives sounds good. And -hmm. if you go to like a nice church where people are basically nice and do nice things, it can be very like benign. Um, But it's an entirely different experience when you're trying like every day to filter out like the voices 
of, you know, just having had a, a really like bad, abusive, toxic religious background to whatever degree on the spectrum that falls right. into. And I see that I, I just have, I have a, a tremendous, I'm very inspired and constantly confused by my friends who have come from like a crummy Christian background who are trying to carve out like a meaningful faith for themselves in the absence yeah. of that. It looks really hard. And yeah, you know, I have a friend of a friend actually who got out of polygamy. Um, Ooh. Yeah, which is, it, it was a real bad compound situation. Wow. And she's just uh, like a non-fundamentalist, non-LDS, uh, FLDS Christian now. And it's just amazing to me that she's religious at all. At all. Like if yeah. I clawed my way out of a polygamous compound, I think I'd be done. You know, <laughs> like I gave it the office. I'm out. <laughs> like it's amazing for me that that it's it's much, much easier is what I'm saying to to come to Christianity with a blank slate and have it be like a meaningful, joyful experience than to be able to sift through, like having had a lot of garbage thrown at you. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. This was a great conversation. I'm real pleased to have been here. Um, Where can people uh, find you and your work online? Sure. Uh, So the thing I just started doing um, is I am uh, L.com's new relationship advice person. I think the first one is going up this month. Um, and nice. by this month, I probably mean next month because this month is basically over. Um, so I'm oh, there. Yeah. And there's a time delay on the podcast, but <laughs> eh, you'll see. It'll happen. It'll and happen. Uh, apart from that, uh, I just I don't have Twitter anymore and I'm not on Facebook. So really just search for my name and you'll see some TV recaps. Great. That seems like an ideal online presence. <laughs> I got to say, I'm liking it a lot, but I miss... Um, I miss when some, you know, someone I've never liked gets dragged on Twitter and I miss it. And then people have to tell me about it later and then I have to search. That's kind of a pain. <laughs> That's the worst part of it. Like missing. Yeah, well. Missing that. Or when Beyonce we all like, have our announced struggles. her twins. Like I really missed Twitter that day. Alas. And yet you'll soldier forth. It's true. All right. Um, well, I won't see you on Facebook or Twitter, but I'm sure I will see you in uh, some other capacity online at some point. I hope so very much. Thanks so much for talking to us again. And goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Well, that just leaves one thing left before the end of the show, which is. <gasps> Could it really be? That's right. It's that time again. Time for rate a book. Rate this particular book. How would you rate the Gospel O Luke. Uh, you, you go first. Okay. I'll give it 22 out of 25 lilies in the goddamn field. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure that conforms exactly to the Bible verse about the lilies in the field, but uh, go on. And I'll do so because I think this is a very nicely put together version of this story. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, more cohesive in style than the previous Gospels while also hitting all of the same high points in the in the actual story. Um, the way everything is laid out makes more sense. It feels less like it was cobbled together from different sources, even though there are still some seams visible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the version of God is, is, like we've said before, a more personal version, I think, yes. than this is like a real clear jumping off point for the theology from the Old Testament Jewish style. Yes. 
to me, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. So I got to give it points up there. (laughs) Um, I think I'm going to give it, uh, I'll just, I'll give it, I'll say nine out of 10 Mm. lost sheep. Okay. Or maybe I should say 90 out of 100 not lost sheep in the forest at night. But um, I agree. Definitely very compelling um, theologically Mm -hmm. that the the whole personal God thing is is just very exciting, I guess, and new. Um, And also literarily, I loved all the detail. Mm -hmm. I loved all this stuff at the beginning about John the Baptist's birth. Um, It's like unnecessary, but was really enjoyable to read. Um, And I also like the very clear like standpoint that being rich is bad Mm. i think that's a really interesting thing for god to like for god to make his main deal Mm -hmm. um and that's been in the previous gospels but it's it's very evocatively expressed here not only with the uh i have a needle comparison but yeah i mean i have the needle was in the where the rich guy is in hell talking to Abraham. Yeah, that's, I think, the step forward. Like, the eye of the needle is in the other ones, mm-hmm. is in Matthew and Mark, both, I think. Um, and definitely, I mean, that's, and that's a continuation of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Like, being rich is, makes it hard to get in heaven. Um, and, like, a main thing that rich people need to do is give more money to the poor, the right. widow, the orphan. It comes with obligations. It's not just, like, a reward. Yeah, yeah. Um, but man, that scene of the guy in hell, the rich guy in hell and the beggar in heaven is like, that really lays it out for you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very unambiguous. So, yeah, great, great gospel. High I would say, quality gospel. I would say this is not just good news. This is great news. Come to Sunday School Dropouts for all the hot goss you can handle. Of course, <laughs> we're talking about the synoptic gospels in this case. Um. So that's that's our show. That's our show for this week. Uh. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, we are at SunSchoolDrop. You can follow me on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. You can find us on Facebook by looking for Sunday School Dropouts. Um, you can email us, contact at SundaySchoolDropouts.lol. We're not going to do the mailbag this episode because we just don't have time, but we'll be back at it again next week. Back at it again with a fresh bag. <laughs> back at it again at the Krispy Kreme. Oh, I turned the meme on you there. <laughs> Truly, you have become the meme smuggler. <laughs> I forgot about the meme smuggler. Big news this week. Uh, people have asked about it in the past, about where they can find the music from the show, which I produce all of. Um, as of when this recording goes up, all of that music will be available on my SoundCloud page, as well as some new music I've been working on uh, with my Grupo, um, which is not called my Grupo. <laughs> it's a band. Mm-hmm. It's not called my Grupo. Anyway, that URL is soundcloud.com slash Nico Bakulich. And if you need to figure out how to spell my name, check the episode description. It's got two Ks and only one C. And they're exactly where you'd expect them. (laughs) Um, Otherwise? Our logo is by Elise Carlton. We, as always, thank Nico for uh, engineering, sound editing, and music. You're very welcome, my dear. Uh, We will be back next week with another piece of goss. And we will see you Sunday. See you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.